Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, folks, before we start the show, let's talk about our Amazon link at bobseska.com. Whether you're shopping for yourself or if you're buying music by one of our excellent indie bands, don't forget to use our Amazon link just beneath the logo at bobseska.com. Our special link will take you to the front page of amazon.com where you can go shopping until you're dropping. And by doing so through our link, we receive a teeny tiny commission on some of your purchases. Thanks for shopping through our Amazon link. And now let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, January 22, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Today, we're welcoming back to the show the great Donna Halper, the broadcaster, historian, and educator who introduced Rush, my favorite band, to America. You know, so many of us have been profoundly affected by the death of drummer Neil Peart, but Donna knew Neil personally, as well as both Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson. And I hope today's conversation about Neil and Rush will enlighten some of you as to what all the fuss is about. Meanwhile, if you like what you hear, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at bobseskashow.com. Okay, let's talk about Neil Peart with my friend, the great Donna Halper. It's always such an honor to have you back here on the show, uh, especially to discuss what we're about to discuss today. You know, I uh, I hope we can crystallize uh, in our conversation why Neil Peart was such an important man, both in terms of his musicianship as a drummer, but also as a thinker, as a philosopher and uh, a student of the human condition. Uh, he was one of my most cherished role models, uh, someone whose uh, work and his life philosophy, his writing really bled their way into how I look at the world is this so immensely influential, not only as a member of Rush, but also as a as a thinker. Um, did you have that experience with him as well? Or was your uh, relationship with Neil uh, more on a musical, personal level? Well, actually, it was a little bit of both, Bob. Um, don't forget, when I first met Neil, mm -hmm. uh, it was after John Rutsey had had to leave the band. Right. And... We were still kind of in, in a place where we felt bad about Rutsey's health, but we knew that Rush needed to go in a different direction. When I say we, I mean the management, Alex, Getty. I mean, it was pretty much well-known. They knew what they wanted to do, yeah. and they knew that Neil could take them there. So when I first met Neil, it wasn't so much, oh, my God, he's a great thinker. He's the professor. I was just like, ah, oh, good. This is a band that has so much possibility, yeah. and Neil is the missing piece. He's mm -hmm. going to be able to help take them there. Yeah. And the more I got to know him, and I would be lying to you if I said I was a close friend of Neil's, okay? I was much closer to Alex and Getty, okay? And to this day, I still keep in touch. But I was friendly with Neil, but Neil 
to be honest, it was sort of on his terms. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm no. saying Neil, by all accounts, and it's true, is a very private person. Yes. He has a few close friends. He's not the kind of guy that, you know, he likes to partay, you know, he likes a cl- millions of people in the crowd. I mean, right. I'm still talking about him in the present tense. I can't believe he's gone. I you know. know what I'm saying? I know. But when I knew him, if he wanted to get together, which he sometimes did, it was to talk literature. It was to talk poetry. It was to talk philosophy. Now, how many musicians are you going to get together with and talk literature or poetry or philosophy? But that was Neil. Neil was a reader. He was a thinker. He loved history. And the more I got familiar with the lyrics of his songs, it was the lyrical talents that were just as important to the band as his drumming. Mm -hmm. He was the complete package. And I'm not saying that like, oh, I'm an acolyte and I'm saying wonderful things. It was true. I I wrote an article, uh, I'm sure you've seen it now, uh, for my hometown newspaper, the Quincy Patriot Ledger. And I made the assertion that Neil was perhaps the most respected rock drummer out there. And that's not an exaggeration. People in other Fans admired him, and it was such a gift to watch him work Mm -hmm. and his ability to write rock lyrics that were both thought-provoking and intelligent was just so amazing to me because I knew a lot of rock stars. I mean, come on, I was in the industry for nearly four decades, and I knew a lot of rock stars that their entire output was just the same thing over and over. It was like, you know, (laughs) three-chord rock and roll of the lowest degree. And there's nothing wrong with that. God bless them. There's a market for that. But my point is, Neil never mailed it in. Neil did it differently with every album. He always came up with something new. He always came up with something interesting. And not every song was perfect. He would be the first one to tell you that. But some of his lyrics just spoke to people. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that the gift that he was for the band was not just his ability as a drummer, but his ability to be a thinking person's lyricist, where when you listen to a rock song, and I've said this before, when you listen to one of Neil's songs, it didn't matter if you were a righty, if you were a lefty, if you were religious, if you were an atheist, there was something in his lyrics that spoke to you. And I really believe that was the gift that he was. Right, right. He made it, um, and this can be said... Does does that make any sense, Bob? 100% makes complete sense. In fact, Neil, Getty, Alex, they... They made it cool to be a nerd long before... (laughs) Long before it was cool to be a nerd. And I say that as a nerd. Mm -hmm. The main character in the Subdivisions video, I felt like that kid. That kid walking by himself through the hallways of high school. I mean, I feel like that was me. That spoke to me. That characterization spoke to me. The lyrics of that song spoke to me in a deeply personal way. But um, in, in a more general sense, having known him personally, Donna, 
do you ever find yourself asking the question, what would Neil do? I mean, here's an example. Um, I mean, I've been posting images and thoughts on social media, as we all are. Would Neil be okay with this? <laughs> you know, is this photo, would this be embarrassing to him? Um, was Neil's memory and, and Neil's views, his worldview and so on, was that kind of haunting you as you were writing your, your tribute for the Patriot Ledger? Well, whatever I've written about Neil, whether it was the quotes that um, Annie kindly included in her NPR article, or whether it was uh, the interview I did with Mike Shu on WAAF, I was always mindful of the fact that Neil was a very private person. Yeah. And he would not have wanted a whole thing about like how did he die and what was going on for him mm-hmm. and this and that. There were a lot of people that didn't even know how sick he was. Yeah. And that's something he wanted like that. He didn't want people to make a big fuss. Not like he was some martyr or something. He just was very private. Yeah. And he really believed that his life was a personal experience. He certainly shared his music with the fans, but when it came down to like living his life, it was a simple matter of he was private and Mm. that's the way he wanted it. So when I was writing about him, I tried to write in tribute to the person that I knew. I tried to write in tribute to the gift that he was, the music that he gave us, and also to the ethical decent human being, because I know a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that I was asked not to say anything about Mm -hmm. with regard to his charitable work. Even in that, he didn't want a big fuss made about it. So when I was writing, it was more along the lines of, how can I write a tribute to a friend and write it in a way that is respectful of who he was and his desire for privacy and my desire to honor him. And, you know, for those of you who are just uh, listening for the very first time, uh, it should be completely clear about this. Donna was the music director at WMMS in Cleveland. And in that role, you discovered Donna, you discovered Rush's first album. You started playing Working Man on the radio in the United States when no one else was doing it. You're credited, rightfully so, with uh, discovering Rush and bringing Rush to America. And the rest is history. I mean, you played such a significant role in the history of that band. And it's so well, it gra- was, And it wasn't just the that I played Working Man. Over the years, okay, when critics would trash them, yeah. I would be in touch with those critics, okay? It was kind of like, you know, you got to answer to me, pal. Yeah, right, you right. know, And it's like they didn't need me to defend them. It just I felt that it was the right thing to do. These were my friends, okay? Mm-hmm. I worked with a group of fans to get Rush a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I worked for years to try to get them inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It was basically a relationship where I had deep respect for who they were. And as I've mentioned on more than one occasion, Bob, the fact that I played Working Man would never have happened without an act of altruism 
from a record promoter named Bob Roper, and I'm mm-hmm. still in touch with Roper over yeah. the years. I mean, look at all the great friends I've gotten, including you, <laughs> out of knowing the band. Yes. And so, you know, if Roper had not been a decent human being who heard something in that band, and even though his record label wasn't going to sign them, he sent it along to me because he knew I play a lot of Canadian music and I had a reputation for having good ears. Yeah. And so he said to me, do you hear something? He said, I do. Do you hear something? And the moment I heard Working Man, I knew immediately. Okay. So here we have an act of altruism that resonated. And yes, I took it and ran with it. I helped them with a lot of things early in their career. And then when they became more famous, they didn't need a big sister. They just kind of needed a friend. And I've tried to mm-hmm. be that friend over the years. And I'm glad that I had the opportunity. And I'm trying to be a friend even now that Neil is gone. I, I just, I've reached out to fans and just let them know that this is something we are all in it together We cared about this man deeply. Some of us knew him, some of us did not. But even the people that never met him felt like they knew him through his lyrics. And in fact, that's one of the connections I think we all have with Rush. It goes beyond the music. Obviously, we love their music. But unlike many bands... It's not just the music, it's the guys in the band, their personalities, their work ethic, their views on life and, and the world and comedy and you know, everything you could possibly imagine is kind of wrapped into uh, these three guys as just not only powerhouse musicians, but as, uh, as being genuinely decent people. I've said, and I said in my tribute in the Patriot Ledger, success never spoiled Rush. Mm -hmm. They were the same down-to-earth, decent human beings now as then. When I first met them, they were very untouched by it all because they weren't famous. And then when they became famous... They were still the same guys that if you saw them in Beyond the Lighted Stage, you know, they're sitting in Tim Hortons eating donuts and just they're just regular guys. They've yeah. always been like they're family men. That's not a myth. That's not just something I'm saying. I don't lie to people, okay? It's just not who I am. And these guys were always down to earth, decent, honorable, and ethical people, which is one of the things that was such a pleasant surprise, because you know and I know, we've met politicians, we've met celebrities, some of them, the way they seem on stage, and then you meet them, and you're like, oh my God, what a disappointment. With Rush, what you see is what you get. They were decent, compassionate human beings on stage. They're decent, compassionate human beings when you meet them in real life. Absolutely. And some of the people linked up with the organization reflect that same uh, ideal as well. Yep. I mean, I had some yep. interactions with Bob Farmer, who's their their lawyer, and uh, we worked together to, to get Rush Limbaugh to stop playing Rush music on his show. <laughs> and uh, I wrote a whole Huffington Post piece about it. I alerted Bob Farmer. Bob Farmer sent a cease and desist to the Limbaugh show, and we got yep. Rush's music removed from that awful, awful broadcast. And so, yep. uh, just in all the things that I've read, his books and, and his other work, um, Neil in particular seems to have been a, a warm, very tender hearted spirit, 
um, to the people immediately surrounding him, the people, the oh, inner yeah, he's circle had friends people. that he's been friends with for, you know, 45, 50 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He has a very small circle based on what I know, but he really is loyal. And there mm. I am talking about him in the present again. Um, he really was loyal to his friends and very loyal to his family. I've had the privilege of being in touch with his family. People online sometimes like, well, how do you know this stuff? Well, because I talk to the people <laughs> that were there and that know about these things and mm -hmm. I've had the privilege of corresponding with his father who's a wonderful person oh. and one of his sisters who's also a wonderful person these are just nice people they were dealt a terrible hand yeah. and yet they're just dealing with it with grace I mean nice people it, it is a complete myth that there are no nice people left in the world yeah. there really are right. and it's a privilege to know some of them one of the things that's been killing me uh since we all found out about neil's death is the notion uh, that uh, neil retired in part to spend time with his new family after he lost yep. his first family but then only to, but then yeah but then only to be diagnosed with this horrible disease about a year after the last R40 show in 2015. Yep. Um, yep. I keep going, the, the lyric that keeps running through my head is from Bravado, Victory Denied. Um, yep. but, but based on his writing, I'd wager that the time that he had with Carrie and Olivia was very, very well spent time, don't you think? And it's pretty obvious that he loved them dearly. That's not an act, okay? Again, mm. I know people who are there, all right? Yeah. And this is something he really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I think for as long as he was able to do it, he did it well. What I'm sorry about, of course, is that this is a disease that does not have a happy ending. This is a yeah. disease that killed John McCain, Ted Kennedy, yep. Gord, Downey. Gord Downey. There are so many good people yep. who have died from this disease. And Neil, from what I can gather from the people that were there, fought it bravely mm -hmm. and did everything he could to prolong his life as long as he could. And I just wish it had had a different outcome, and I'm sure that the members of his family feel the same way. But aren't we fortunate to have known him at all? Yeah. It's amazing. In the billions of years the Earth has been around, we got the chance to, uh, <laughs> to, to be here at the same time as Neil Peart and Rush. Quite a privilege. Um, you know, I've been reading some of these other tributes, too, in addition to yours, Donna. And uh, Neil's friend, uh, Don Perry, from <laughs> Jethro Tull, wrote that Neil wasn't in any pain. And uh, and thank God for that. Neil was also um, a huge fan of the Tragically Hip. You mentioned Gord Downey. In 2016, when Gord Downey died, that's around the same time that uh, Neil was probably diagnosed. Do you think mm -hmm. Gord Downey's very public struggle with glioblastoma informed Neil's uh, decisions as far as his privacy? or Well, you know the, the lyrics to that uh, Sly and the Family Stone song about different strokes for different folks, yeah, you know, yeah. everyday people? Um, Neil was always Neil. And that sounds like a truism, but I'm saying he was completely consistent. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine him going out and doing a whole big, you know, glioblastoma tour. You know, yeah, just, right. it just wouldn't have been Neil. Mm -hmm. And I'm not dissing Gord Downey. I'm saying people handle their disease 
in completely different ways. Right. When I got cancer, and I didn't have the same kind of cancer he had, the kind that I had was very treatable, thank God. Mm-hmm. And when I had it, I was very upfront with it. I told people I had it. I let them know about it. Not because I was looking for sympathy or empathy or any other kind of fee. It was just sort of, here we are and look how far we've come. My grandmother died of this very same kind of cancer. And here I am two generations later, and I'm five years cancer-free, okay? Unfortunately, in Neil's case, what he had is relentless and brutal, and everyone that has it handles it in a different way. John Mm -hmm. McCain and Ted Kennedy, they're politicians. They were public. Neil, that... To my knowledge, based on what I know about Neil, Neil would not have wanted the attention to be on himself. Yeah. He was the kind of person that just really wanted things to be private. Mm-hmm. And I respect that to the utmost. When he did some things that were charitable back a few years ago, okay, and asked that nothing be said about it, I honored that. Because, again, he wasn't doing it so that he could get his name in the paper. Mm -hmm. He was doing it because he thought it was the right thing to do. And that is absolutely how Neil was. So, to me, it's just honoring his memory to let him live his life the way he wanted to live it. He went out surrounded by family and friends. I wish he had had more time. I wish that we didn't even have to be having this conversation. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I think if you had asked him, he would have said that he did it the way he wanted it to be done. All right, we'll get back to our conversation with Donna Halper here in just a second. But first, everyone's making New Year's resolutions. Have you? I, I've made a few. Uh, but in case you can't think of one, here's a suggestion. Resolve to look good in all of your social media photos by wiping out all those fine lines, wrinkles, and baggy eyes with Plexiderm. Plexiderm is a clinically studied topical serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in just a matter of minutes. When I took the test, all I had to do was apply this powerful serum to my problem areas, and within about 10 minutes, I was a new me. And the best part is there's no surgery or Botox involved. It's all natural. Simply put, I was blown away by the results. Ring in 2020 with confidence, knowing Plexiderm is going to give you smoother, younger-looking skin in just a matter of minutes. The best part is it goes on clear, so nobody's going to know you're using it. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use my code SEXYLIBERAL for 50% off plus an extra $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code SEXYLIBERAL. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use the code SEXYLIBERAL at checkout. That's TryPlexiderm.com, code SEXYLIBERAL. Thank you. 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. 
And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The Bob Seska Show. You know, um, Neil's deep sense of privacy, as you've mentioned uh, several times here, uh, refusing to pretend that strangers are long-awaited friends, as the lyric goes. Ought to come as no surprise to anyone who knew his work, his um, shyness and hesitance to bask in the spotlight of celebrity has been, um, I think, falsely mischaracterized by some observers as a conceitedness or arrogance oh, or something no. along those lines. Heavens, no. yeah, he was no, neither, no, no, right? No, no. no. If you know Neil, okay, if you knew him mm. in the past in any context, his communication with the fans was not attending meet and greets and shaking hands. That just wasn't Neil. His communication was three hours of playing his heart out, night after night. Neil never mailed it in, Mm -mm. ever. You never heard him mail it in. What you heard was somebody who had great respect for his music, great respect for his instrument. He loved playing drums. He loved being a performer. And that's how he showed his love for the fans. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that you said that's interesting, not that you haven't said interesting things before, but (laughs) with respect to this particular conversation, (laughs) I think Neil made it okay to be an individual. One of the things that shows up in Russia's lyrics a lot is the value of thinking for yourself. You know, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Okay? The value of standing up for your beliefs, the value of being an ethical person. You may be living in an unethical world. You may be living in a time when, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, an atheist, a theist, whatever, you're not happy with society. But you can still make choices. You can still choose ethics. You can still choose kindness and compassion. In Neil's own way, even in his Ayn Rand period, he had a very compassionate side to him. Not everybody saw it, but that doesn't mean it wasn't there. And as an individual, he did live life his way. But his way was not rudeness and arrogance. His way was just standing up for his beliefs. And what's Mm -hmm. wrong with that? No, nothing. Nothing. And in fact, uh, he was very uncompromising in certain respects. And in other respects, I think he was very compromising. I think in in working with, uh, in a three-piece band, you have to be compromising. You have to be able to put aside your ego or put aside some of your opinions for the sake of the, the broader unit. And so in that respect, clearly this was not a guy who uh, was reflective of any of the negative things that have been said about him. It's just a, it's the same thing that anyone gets if they're a private person and they're unwilling to compromise their privacy for the sake of whatever expectations there are of being a celebrity. That's not something that he was wired for. And and there was also, so you, you mentioned something earlier too that got me to thinking as well, that with Rush, it seems like everything has a degree of thoughtfulness that surrounds it. Every aspect of the music, how the tours are put together, uh, the album art, you know, Neil, in addition Mm -hmm. to writing the lyrics and and being the drummer in the band, 
was also kind of the art director for the band's album covers working along with uh, Hugh Syme. Um, one of the things I noticed over the years, and I think a lot of Rush fans notice this, is Clockwork Angels wasn't their first concept album. In a technical sense, a lot of their albums were. And, and where you can find common threads, you can find through lines with a lot of their songs, whether it's lyrically or musically. Um, and I always go back to the case of uh, an album like Power Windows, for example. Each song relates to a certain aspect of power, nuclear power, financial power, uh, personal willpower in a song like Marathon. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm almost afraid to admit, selfishly, I want more. I want more Rush music. I want the guys to still be around. I want all three of them to still be performing and creating this amazingly thoughtful music. In fairness, Neil gave us a 45-year yes. musical album, as it were. Okay? Very true. I mean, a lot of other bands... By that time, they were parodies of themselves, okay? Mm -hmm. But for more than four decades, Rush consistently gave us great music. And how lucky are we as fans to be able to have heard so many wonderful songs and to be able to share those songs with other people. And by the way, can I address the myth one more time that all Rush fans are men? No, they're not. Okay. That just irritates me. There are women Rush fans. There always have been. And the truth is that there are fans all over the world who love this band and the degree of sadness from people about Neil is just, it's just an amazing thing. When I wrote to Neil's father to express my condolences, uh, I was told by his sister that he was kind of surprised that there are so many millions of people that are like in mourning over this. And I said, you know what? He touched the lives of so many people, okay? And the truth is, there are so many people to this day who are touched by the music of Rush and who will continue to be touched by it. And you know, the, the great irony, Donna, is the most private member of Rush is maybe the member of Rush that we know the most. And I'm speaking those of us who didn't know him personally and only know him through his music and his writing. And and that's Neil. I feel like uh, uh, through all of his work, and I got a better sense of who he is as a man uh, and as a professional uh, than I do with uh, Getty and Alex. And Getty and Alex have done countless more <laughs> interviews and public appearances that, than Neil has. And I think that all goes back to Neil's books. And I'm uh, part of what I've been trying to do um, since we learned of Neil's death is I've been trying to uh, focus some emphasis on those on those pieces of work, on his books, because it's as I said earlier, sometimes his drumming, being as great as it is, tends to eclipse some of that work and and some of the uh, the remembrances and tributes. So uh, when it comes to reading those books. Um, one of the the works that stands out above all the rest of them, uh, as far as that contradiction, the irony of him being private but yet not private with that work, and that goes to the book uh, Ghost Rider. 
for those of you who don't know, Neil's daughter, Selena, was killed in a crash in August mm-hmm. of 97. And then his wife, Jackie, died uh, a year later of what Neil called a broken heart, basically apathy. Um, yep. Nothing mattered anymore after the loss of, of their daughter. Uh, and again, that was a year later, 1997 and then 1998. And then there's a passage in that book, in Ghost Rider, that breaks my heart even just to think about it. And it involves his dad arriving at Neil's home and Neil uh, dropping into his dad's arms and repeating, it's so hard. Every time I think of that, uh, I lost my best friend and podcast partner uh, three years ago. Yes, yes. And, I and, was going to say something about that. And it was the same overwhelming experience. And I didn't know Neil but I felt like through his books, I had a sense of who he was. And this is a terrible, terrible tragedy. It's so hard. What was your reaction when you heard, Donna? Well, I was shocked. I was on the phone, interestingly enough. Um, I had known that Neil was ill, but I didn't know how ill. And I didn't want to pry, okay? I figure yeah. if people want me, want me to know something, they'll let me know. So I was on the phone with a former colleague of mine. And he said, did you hear about Neil? And I, I'll be honest with you. I had no idea what he was talking about because I had no idea that he was that sick. So I thought like, wow, maybe, you know, Neil did a speaking engagement. Maybe Neil did a video. Maybe Neil decided to, uh, you know, do who knows whatever. And it was like, no, Neil's gone. And I went online immediately, and sure enough, there's my feed, you know, just lighting up like a Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I got in touch with Neil's best friend immediately. And I was just, I am so, so sorry. I had no idea. If I had known, I would, he said, he didn't want anybody to know. He said, the only people that really knew were the people closest to to him. Mm-hmm. Not like, you know, well, you're not close, but I'm talking about like immediate family and things like that. And that was his decision. But the point is, I was in shock. As, as I said in my Patriot Ledger piece, which, by the way, the editor messaged me and said it was one of their most read pieces all day. <laughs> not surprising. I mean, yeah, I'm not surprised either. But my point is that this degree of devotion is not about my piece. It's about a lot of people miss him. Yeah. And a lot of people we're in just an absolute state of shock. And I'm still stunned by it. I'm still sitting here even days later saying, oh my God, we've got to talk about him in the past tense. It just seems so wrong. I mean, I'm not wishing death on anybody, but I mean, one of the things that came to my mind was I know some people that I don't like very much and (laughs) they're still walking around. I know. And poor Neil, who harmed no one. Mm -hmm. But you know, the moving finger rights and you know it's just like things happen and this is wrong on so many levels but on the other hand like I said I was shocked I was stunned but I immediately moved into how can I be there for the fans and how can I let his family know I'm I'm there in whatever way I can be Mm -hmm. and also how can I honor him how can I honor his wishes how can I write something that will speak to the love that the fans have for him? And how can I let people know what he meant? 
And I'm very honored to be on your podcast talking about him. There's so many things that we could also be talking about, but it's okay that we're devoting a day to talking about Neil because there's people out there that are still grieving as if they knew him because, as I said, they felt like they did through his music. Yet, in fact, um, again, as I was saying earlier, I find myself... Uh, struggling a little bit to fully crystallize uh, what this, I mean, for me at least, what this stranger meant to me and, and to relate that in a way that is is clear to my readers and, and my listeners. And I feel like uh, in that process, I keep going back to, well, h- how would Neil approach this? Uh, he would certainly be uh, you know, in the same process of trying to crystallize using an economy of words, a way to fully encapsulate his thoughts on this particular event in a way that resonates with the people reading or, or listening. And I think uh, the best thing that any of us can do yeah. is to honor him by being our best selves, yeah. by being true to our ethics. And by doing something out there that makes the world a better place and doing it in his memory. Um, And then, again, this also extends, Donna, beyond the music. I mean, one of the things that uh, you can read about in Neil's books is how he was just a collector of life, a collector of experiences, books of all genres. As I said to you before, you know, he loved to read. Mm -hmm. He loved poetry. He loved literature. He loved history. I mean, this informed his writing in addition to the experiences that he had and things of that nature. But I'm saying he really was a thinking person's musician. And another good way to honor him is to continue to exercise critical thinking, to continue to think for yourself and Mm. not let the crowd determine what you think or what you believe. And there's an awful lot of people today that have been influenced by the message in his lyrics. And I'm sure that's going to continue. And I feel deeply grateful that you're having me on your podcast so that we can honor him. Yeah. He said something about being a creative person that really resonated for me. And one of millions of things probably that he's written that resonated with me, but this one's really, really stuck with me. He once said that uh, creative people are working even when it looks like we're simply looking out the window. Um, Some people mistake that for daydreaming, but it's of course work. Is there any aspect of Neil's work that directly speaks to you as a professional, as a historian, as a broadcaster? The fact that he was so observant. I mean, he loved nature, for example. One of the things he really enjoyed doing was bird watching. Mm -hmm. Now, my husband likes to go bird watching. Okay, it's not my thing. But on the other hand, I very much appreciate the love of nature, the love of the environment, and the willingness to watch the little things that are going on around us. That's probably something that affects me a lot because so often we get caught up in the day-to-day BS, we're upset with this, we're upset with that, and all around us there are beautiful things. All around us there are amazing things. And Neil was very sensitive to that. It informed his writing, it informed who he was as a person, 
I think that is so, so commendable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another one of the many things that influence the people that are Rush fans. It's like he could draw inspiration from so many different sources. I mean, how many rock stars do you know that like to go bird watching right. or hiking? I mean, if you've read his books, you know how nature influenced him. Mm -hmm. And this is something, again, you don't expect it from a rock star. Yeah. But Neil never thought of himself as a rock star. He just thought of himself as Neil. He was the new guy. Yeah, <laughs> always the new guy. And he liked to be the anonymous guy in a baseball hat reading a book in a diner. Yeah. How many people do you know that you can go backstage with them and talk about Shakespeare? Right. I mean, Shakespeare. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I used to be an English teacher, so fine, I talk about Shakespeare. But he would have the most literate, erudite conversation about Shakespearean plays or about, you know, Buddhist philosophy or about any one of a multitude of other things. He was fascinated by everything else that was going on around mm. him. Yeah. And I think that's what made him a good writer. People always ask me, what do I have to do to be a good writer? Be observant. Yeah. Notice what's going on around you. Like I said, so often we get caught up in the day-to-day -day BS, and we just forget to notice those little things. Neil noticed. Mm. Yeah, and in fact, he spent, uh, and he talks about this quite a bit in interviews, where he spent a, a couple of decades writing for himself and the people around him before he ever published a damn thing. And that's one of the things I envy most about Neil Peart, because uh, my writing and my progress as a writer has been happening in plain public view <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> since I started blogging. And there are some things I look back at and I go, Oh my God, I can't believe I wrote that. I wish I could just uh, yep. erase every... Hello, I get every day of my life. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, in my case, as a DJ, mm -hmm. uh, DJs are perpetually listening back to their stuff and yeah. going, oh my God, <laughs> this is the worst, day I, worst show I ever did. You yeah, know, That yeah. kind of thing. And the thing you got to understand is that just because you think it's awful... Somebody else might not. Right. Okay. And Neil was a very like not not like a harsh critic, but he really held himself to a high standard. Oh God! Yeah. He always wanted to keep getting better. He always treated drumming like a calling. This wasn't just like banging on a bunch of drums. Mm -hmm. This was an art. And he was like that about lyrics, too. This was an art. And it really is so impressive when you find a musician. And there are others, let's be honest. But there are so few musicians who treat this like an art. Yeah. And when you find them, you got to value them and you got to respect them. And in this case, you got to honor them. Yeah, yeah. Well, he took everything he did seriously as far as trying to make the absolute most of it to to be as good as he possibly could be to the point where, you know, famously, he would rehearse before rehearsals, like before he'd get together with the other members yep. of the band to yep. rehearse. He would spend a significant amount of time by himself rehearsing and you think oh well neil peart he's the world's greatest drummer he doesn't have to rehearse he can just sit behind a drum kit and just start playing that way well that's not <laughs> the way it works at all but uh, he was a professional yeah he exactly. was a professional now 
I only have a finite amount of time today. Plus, I'll be very honest with you, this is still a difficult subject for me to talk about. I understand. But I will just say that I've known a lot of people in the music industry over the years. Neil was the kind of person who had a lasting impact, whether mm -hmm. you knew him personally or whether you knew him through his music. Yeah. And I can't tell you how grateful I am to see the outpouring of love and respect among the fans and to hear how much he meant to them yeah. and to know that his family is aware of it and to know that the people that meant the most to him are deriving some comfort from that. Mm -hmm. These are difficult times. We all get by with a little help from our friends. Yeah. And it is so important that in times like this, we stand together, right. we support each other, and we let each other know that we're there for each other because in a way that honors Neil too. It is Neil's yeah. music and the music of Rush right. that brought so many people from all over the world who might never have met each other otherwise. Mm -hmm. And yet we're all united in our love for Rush. That's right. Amen. Amen. What would Neil Peart do? I think if there's anything yep. you could take with you as a, as, a, as a listener of Rush, as a fan of Rush, uh, and especially as, as we're paying tribute to him, what would Neil do? I think that's a great way to, uh, to end and a great way to proceed uh, as, uh, as life goes on. Thank you so much, Donna. It's been such oh a pleasure. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me on, Bob. What a privilege. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you for your kindness. Bye-bye.